So hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Spotlight Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Century 21 sales representatives in Canada, where we discuss the hot topics and important news in the real estate industry. So I'm your host, Linus Kilius, head of business development at the real estate marketing company, Homania. And missing for the first time is my regular co-host, Aaron Richardson. Aaron is off camping in the Canadian wilderness somewhere with his family, far from cell phone coverage and Wi-Fi. So we're going to let him off the hook for this week. I hope you'll all forgive him. That being said, we've upgraded Aaron this week with, very fittingly, his boss, Pam Prescott. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Pam is broker owner of Century 21 Heritage Group. Pamela Prescott has been in the industry for over 40 years and has always been a force to be reckoned with in the industry, excelling at everything she does. Pam started in sales, selling about 200 homes per year before opening her own brokerage and growing it to become one of the most successful real estate brokerages in Canada. Over the years, Pam has mentored and trained hundreds of real estate agents, turning many of them into top producers, which makes her ideal for our show discussion today. Because on today's show, we're going to continue our mini-series on building the foundations of your real estate business. Last show, we discussed where to start if you're a new agent just getting into the industry. This week, we're going to talk about how you can best bring your business to the next level, how you can become a top producer. But before we get started on that, I wanted to bring up some news that we kind of touched on last week that's coming out of Vancouver. For those of you that aren't aware, legislators have enacted a 15% land transfer tax to non-Canadians and non-permanent residents on properties purchased in Metro Vancouver. This tax went into effect on the 2nd of August and affects any properties that are closed on or after the 2nd, including those homes whose purchase agreements were signed long before the 2nd of August. So over the past week, there's been a lot of interesting stories coming out regarding this. We touched on some of the issues we thought might come up in the, la in the last show, but there is more increasing concern now that these foreign investors are going to turn their eyes to other markets, specifically Toronto. Now, Pam, this is your stomping ground. Do you think this is going to have any effect on the Toronto market? Are people going to turn their eyes to Toronto? What do you think? You know, I wish I had a crystal ball. Nobody can predict something like that. Um, Certainly, most of the foreign investors coming to Canada right now are looking for a safe haven. Um, they like the, the Chinese particularly, like the Vancouver location. Uh, you got to realize that people coming from other countries right away have an advantage because our dollar is very low right now. For example, if you come in from the States, you've already got a 30% advantage because of our dollar being lower. So, and our interest rates are very low right now. So, uh, it, it's hard to say. No, I, I, some people are forecasting this. Um, I don't think it will happen as much as people think it will. Well, like, the same is as uh, what I think as well. I, I do think that this effect of the diversion of investment will probably be smeared over many marketplaces, uh, not just coming directly to Toronto. There are other marketplaces in and around the Vancouver area too that they might be diverting to. So there is always concern. Everyone always likes, you know, for the media purposes to kind of build up things and, and make them more dire or sound crazier than they are. Um, that being said, Vancouver and, and B.C. government is pressuring the Ontario government to kind of follow suit with a with similar track tax in the Toronto area. I personally think uh, Ontario is going to take a wait and see approach. And I think that's probably the most prudent thing to do. See how this uh, affects the Vancouver marketplace, especially the fact that things aren't grandfathered in, like we mentioned a second ago. So, it might affect some of the sales because it is grandfathered. So I would advise all realtors who have clients who have bought 
that are going to be closing after this date to contact their clients and let them know about this new tax so they can be prepared for it. Uh, they shouldn't give them any legal advice because they're realtors and not lawyers, but they should inform them of the extra costs that they will have. That's the responsibility of the realtor to do. For sure. So the realtor make sure that they do that. And this that does kind of touch on another interesting problem. And there was a story on this uh, from the CBC last week as well. There was a U.S. buyer who was featured in the story, and he was basically getting hit with an 80000 plus extra dollars because of this tax on the purchase of the sale. So um, basically what he decided to do is say, you know what, uh, I'd rather just vo- like back out of my my agreement and deal with any legal repercussions, and it's more likely financially responsible for me to do that than go through with the sale. Now, again, like you're saying, this is a legal matter, so it is good, I guess, to get legal advice from a lawyer. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of clients are going to be coming to the real estate agents and asking about this, but a lot of them might not even know about it, too. I'm not sure, like obviously, as a, a Vancouver real estate agent or someone dealing in that industry, like the first thing you should be doing is getting on the phone with any clients that have any sort of pending purchase agreements that are going to be closing after the second. Um, yeah, so do you, do you have any other advice for these agents out in Vancouver, what they should be doing here? Because I, I guess a lot of people are going to be, you know, having to maybe even get, like, look at back at refinancing um, or, or getting more financing for the purchase that they might not have been pre-approved for as well. A lot of the people who are buying from offshore are paying cash and not financing. But yes, every transaction that you have with a person who would be hit with this tax, you've got to discuss it again with them and, and see what their alternatives are. Different builders might have different clauses and different agreements about whether you can get out of it or not and what kind of losses you would suffer. So they really need to speak to a lawyer if they uh, are not prepared to close the transaction. But that fellow from the United States, I mean, his dollar is 30% higher than ours. So really, he lost half of that change. And when he went to close, you never know what the dollar would have been or will be. So there, there's always... There's a lot of factors for sure. And I guess one thing to always remember too is that we always like to think of foreign investment as you know people with a lot of money coming in to, put, to park their money in in uh, in our marketplace. But the reality is it might just be someone, you know, just a short driveway made from Seattle or something like that, who's just looking for a cross uh, cross border investment property. And they that might be a situation where they get a little bit more harder hit than the people with the lots of cash reserves yes. on hand. Um, but anyways, we don't want to dwell on this too long. We're going to get to the main segment of our show. So transitioning into that, you've been in the business for a while as a real estate agent, but you've seen your growth stall, or maybe you're growing steadily, but you want to increase your productivity at a faster rate. You see other agents transforming into top producers, but you can't seem to make that leap as fast as you'd like. So what we're going to do, Pam, we're going to try and pick your brain a little bit to see if we can help this, this person in this situation on the road to become a top producer. So starting that off, I've got a question for you. What really differentiates your average agent from someone who is a top producer? The difference between an average agent and a top producer is their attention to detail. They're actually paying attention to every little thing and um, uh, they get better service. Their skills are more honed. They, they just take it up a, a notch. They take care of all the details for their clients. Um, it, it's, it boils down to total organization and being totally prepared. I always say that a realtor's job is to um, inform a client so that they can make a, a wise informed decision 
and to give them all the information they need to make those decisions. So they have to be really prepared for everything they do. They have to know the marketplace. They have to have a great listing presentation. It has to be at perfection now. Now they're going to the, the, the next level and their business plan, of course. Yep. Okay. So I've met hundreds of real estate agents and a lot of them, are, a lot of them are very organized, very perfectionist type people, but a lot of them aren't. So if you're that kind of person that maybe you're, 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 you don't have that quite perfection level in you quite yet, like what's the best way to, to get that, that attention to detail, that focus, that experience to, to get to that next level then? I find that a lot of realtors, what they try and do is 12 things at once and none of them really get perfected and get done. So I would advise them to take one of their uh, profit centers and hopefully they have a business plan with, with at least three profit centers. So I would take one of the profit centers, hone it to perfection, get all my skills together in that profit center. And of course, the first one should always be your sphere of influence and uh, past, past clients, that sort of thing. So get it totally organized to perfection. Century 21 has a wonderful contact management system that they give to all of the agents. I highly recommend it. All of my top producers use it because it can keep you organized. And the whole basis of being organized can be all around that contact management system. And you can, you can set up groups within it. So you can have a group from each one of your profit centers. Like you could have a group from uh, open houses. So every time you do an open house, you put all the people into the group. Now I get a new listing. Where do I go first? I look at everybody who's been through my open houses and see if they're interested in buying a property. And it's all organized. It's not, oh gosh, I met somebody a month ago at this open house. Who was he? I can't remember because it's all written down and organized and it all centers around that contact management system. Right, so is it basically like a numbers game? Are you trying to increase your sphere of influence as much as possible? I'm assuming like it's a balance between quality and quantity, right? Um, should, should agents be focusing on the quality of their, their service, the, the quality of their listing presentations, the quality of their, their contact management? Uh, or is this just a numbers game and trying to like get as many people as possible? And if so, like how would you even do that too? You know, as a realtor, you need to get a certain number of clients that think of you. You have your doctor, your lawyer, your realtor. You want them to get to the point where they wouldn't talk to anybody else in real estate without talking to you first because they totally trust you. They know that you're always knowing what's happening in the industry. So you need to get people to that frame of mind so that they're constantly coming to you for advice. And your business plan has to be oriented to do that. So sending them newsletters, um, calling them on a regular basis, uh, talking to them about what's happening in the industry all the time. A lot of agents are their own worst enemies. They don't want to phone a friend and they don't want to phone a client because they don't want to bug them. But you know what happens is if you don't phone that client, the client thinks, oh, while I was buying the property, he was my best friend. Then as soon as I bought it, he never spoke to me again. He was just a fake and a phony. Really, all he was after was the money. And that's the impression you give. So you've got to make sure that you keep in touch with these people and not on a, you don't have to do it a lot. If you send them a newsletter every month, if you phone them two or three times a year, send them a calendar once a year, do that sort of thing. You turn them into a client for life. And that's really what you need to do. 80% uh, of people's business come from their sphere of influence. 
Another problem a lot of realtors have is they're afraid to phone a friend. They don't want to harass them. I don't want to bug my family all the time for business, that sort of thing. But Linus, if, if a friend of yours phoned you up and said um, they were in the banking business and they talked to you about what was happening in the banking industry right now, and uh, would you find it offensive? No, for sure. You, you find it interesting. And the other thing, too, is if, if they're your friend, uh, you'll want to help them. You already have that rapport with them and everything, too. So if, if someone did call as a real estate agent and just want to talk about the industry and stuff, and, and they, I guess they weren't super pushy about it, too, right, then then that's fine. It's just like you're, you're just shooting the breeze with a friend kind of thing. And I guess that's that was going to be one of my questions is so you're, you're following up with your, with your contacts. Like what, what are the kind of things you, you want to talk about? Is it more just to keep in touch or do you want to treat it as a business relationship, too? I guess it's a fine line between it's friendship and business. It's a combination of both. Um, one hint is always talk the business first and then the personal later. Because if you talk personal first and then switch to business, I go, aha, here's the really the reason that they called me. So gotcha. I always advise to, and, and nobody objects, to, everybody's always interested in real estate. They want to know what's going on. So I always advise when you're calling an old client or something, talk about the industry a little bit. Build your credibility to them. I'd listen to the, the news and I'd hear something about real estate. And then when I'm talking to my clients for the next few days, I might reiterate it. Mm -hmm. And they all think I'm so smart because I'm saying the same thing. The <laughs> well, there you go. They, 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 you gain respect. Okay. You're not harassing them. Once in a while, you can ask for business, but it's how you ask for it. You can't ask it in a pushy way. Uh, you might say something to them like, you know what, Linus? If you're ever thinking of selling your house, now's the perfect time because there's no listings in your area. You know, so you might say something like that, which isn't aggressively asking for anything. Gotcha. You know? So present the um, opportunity without specifically maybe going exactly. out and, and asking exactly. for the business. And so many realtors are afraid to make a phone call to their family for that reason. And then after you've given like one minute about what's happening in the industry, you sit down and you chat to them about personal things. And if you're using the contact management system, you can keep notes about every time I spoke to them. So it could be, hey, Linus, last time we were talking, it was your fifth anniversary and you're going to New York. How was your trip? So you, you can keep it personal because if you've got 100 people on your contact management system, it's hard to remember every detail. Okay, and it, it's uh, the repetition is important. It, you would be better off having a hundred people that you are closely in contact with than a thousand that you're just spamming because then they just delete, 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 and they don't listen to a thing you have to say. Um, so yeah, it's quality is very important. And you know, Linus, why would somebody cold call a hundred uh, strangers when they can call a hundred friends? That's true. And I guess you always hear too that, that, that the business will snowball as soon as you get into being that like their realtor as opposed to like, you know, their doctor, their lawyer or whatever, like you're talking about before. Um, I imagine if, if they have a friend who's thinking about buying a house, be like, well, you know, like I know a guy who's great in the industry or whatever, or a girl, and uh, they might pass your name along too. Is that one of the biggest sources of growth too? Just kind of that snowballing effect? Um, industry, industry statistics are that every person knows two people on average that are going to buy or sell a house next year. Okay. So probably two of your friends are going to buy or sell next year, Linus. You have to figure out who you're going to refer them to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
for sure. And it's a tough, tough question for me, for sure, too. Um, so so if, if you are established as a person's realtor, then do you, do you subtly suggest somewhere to, to like, you know, if you do know of anybody who's thinking of selling, you know, like, you know, pass them along. Like, how do you how do you kind of foster that growth as well? Is there any sort of strategy for that? OK, I let at certain points you can say to your, your clients, you know, um, Linus. In this industry, we rely on referrals from friends. So if you ever know of anybody buying or selling, I would so appreciate the referral and I would give them great service. You would never regret it. Okay, so you can put it into their mind a little bit. And then it's really important when you do get a lead from somebody, you phone them immediately. You keep in touch with the person who gave you the lead as well because they're always wondering what happened. So I might give you a phone call two days later and say, Linus, I met with your friend John and Sally. Okay, they're wonderful people. It turns out that they aren't ready to sell yet, but I will keep in touch with them. I'm going to send them a monthly newsletter. Thank you again for the referral. I'll let you know if they contact me again. So you keep in touch and you tell people that you appreciate it, and then they're more inclined to send you even more. For sure. And whenever, whenever I make a sale from somebody and they're a referral, I will make sure the six of us go for dinner on me, of course. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Thank what, you. as your average consumer too, if I pass along like my agent, someone else, and they get great service from it, that makes me feel great that I've helped so, my friend. And in the, in, the, in the meantime, you're also helping your realtor too, obviously. So you're getting it from both ends and you feel fantastic. Yeah. And that's going to so. solidify your relationship even more between the realtor and the person who gave that referral to you as well. So that's right. So let's say you've got these kind of referrals coming in from your past clients and such, but that's not enough. You really want to take your business and, and grow it faster. That's, a- as I said, that's one of your pillars. You're mm-hmm. going to have several things that you do. And every realtor has to figure out at least three profit centers, I call them. Um, and when I was selling my three profit centers were sphere of influence, farming and open houses, you have to have an absolute business plan for each one of your um, uh, profit centers and stick to your business plan. So for for my business plan, for my sphere of influence, we just talked about it, basically sending out a newsletter, sending out calendars, talking to them regularly, that sort of thing. Um, For my open houses, I, I also did a door knock before the open house. And so I do an open house uh, twice a week, usually from two till four. And I door knock from 12 till two around and I had a pretty great door knock. It was really, really uh, a great opportunity to door knock. So this door knocking is in and around the area of the open house, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. So uh, do you find that that's a, another good source of like leads referrals? I think you'll get equal business from that door knock if you do it properly as you will from your open house if you do both of them properly. So, but you can't sit there and let people roam around the house. You have to take control. Mm-hmm. I always say that when you're doing an open house, you have your agent 007 and you have uh, seven or eight minutes to get inside of their head and see exactly what they want to do and where they're going and why. And uh, so you have to listen to them. You have to ask questions. You have to do all the right things so that by the time they get to the door, you know how to close on them and what to close on them for. So what kind of things would you look for then? Because I, I imagine like being able to profile someone very quickly and take control of the situation quickly is a very difficult um, 
quality in a real estate agent to, to acquire or to learn? A lot of it's probably innate, but like what would you say, like do you have any sort of tips for being able to cultivate that person coming into an open house and making sure they don't just like take a quick look around and leave and you never hear from them again? There's um, people coming into an open house can take a lot of offense. Most people don't want a, a real estate broker to be bugging them. Okay, so they don't want to give you your, your phone numbers. They don't want to deal with you or anything else. So you have to establish a rapport with them quickly. And you, you can never fight with a person. If you start arguing with them, you lose instantly. So my trick is if somebody, you can, if you sense that they're being standoffish uh, and you're asking them something, lower your voice and be extremely polite. So for example, if a person doesn't want to give me their phone number at some point or something, I just say to them, oh gee, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you in any way. It's just that I promised the owner that I wouldn't let people through the home without getting their names and their phone numbers. You can understand if it was your home, for security purposes, you'd probably feel the same way. Okay? And that's pretty nice. That would probably wrote me. Yeah. Okay, and then there's some people that wouldn't even rope, and then if they go to the next level, I'll say to them, Linus, is the reason you don't want to give me your phone numbers, you don't want me to harass you, you don't want a real estate agent to bug you all the time? Yes. And I really, <laughs> and they say yes, and then I say, you know what, thank you very much for telling me that. I'm a very busy, successful realtor, and I don't want to bug you if you don't want my phone calls, okay? But I have to do what I promised my seller. So how about I put a do not call beside your name? Would that work for you? Then you get them all. But then listen how I finished it off after that. I am working on some other listings, however. Would you like me to call them if I get call you if I get a new listing <laughs> in the area? So it's how you deal with them, and it comes from experience. And um, it, it's dealing with people very politely and nicely and having things to offer them. Uh, certainly doing your homework before an open house so you know everything that's listed or sold in the area. If somebody comes into the house and, and listing your open house and says, there's a house down the street, how much is that one? And you can't tell them, then it's a problem. You know, you've got to be able to say, well, actually, the house down the street is listed for a four seventy nine nine. It's only a three bedroom. This one's a four bedroom. Is that more in your price range? And you talk to them and find out. And if they say, well, yeah, I'll say, well, my open house is over at four o'clock. Can I book an appointment to show it to you? There you okay, go. so not only are you going to get people to buy the house that you're in, you're going to try and connect with the client. If you think about open houses, you're going to meet probably about 30 agents in a month, or 30 clients, people in a month, that are gonna buy or sell a house in the next 90 days. You know how long it would take you to cold call to find that? For sure, yeah, they're, they're hot so people for sure. You're face to face, which is much better. And you know they're interested in real estate because they're looking at a house in front of you too, so. Exactly. Right there exactly. you go, right there. And I'm actually going to a couple open houses this weekend too. So I'll, I'll be looking out for agents trying to use these strategies and, and, and I'll have That's that aha moment and I'll know what they're up to. So we'll see how effective they are. Maybe I can kind of silently rate them in my head as we go through it. But you know, another big problem rut that realtors get into, and I'm going to call this a rut, is they start reacting instead of planning. So they got a buyer, they go off on a tangent. And then all of a sudden that buyer buys from a, a new home builder and they lose them and they get all upset, okay? And they've dropped everything else, their business plan and everything because they're doing that one thing. And, and you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And uh, if they've got no other leads sitting there, then they're devastated. 
and they go running from place to place because they have no plan. I used to have what I called my day at a glance. And so I had, I called my sphere of influence people, okay? Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday between certain times, okay? Every Thursday night, I called all my existing listings to update them on what's happening with their listing, okay? Uh, every Saturday and Sunday, I did an open house and I door knocked before it. So I, I planned my whole week. And if somebody called me up and I had scheduled to do phone calls between three and five, and they wanted to see something at four, I would say to them, you know what, I have another appointment at, at, at four, uh, but I am free at six, would that work for you? I don't just jump to their beck and call, I try and fit everything into my plan. If you had a, a doctor, Linus, and you phoned him up and said, I want to see you tomorrow at two o'clock. And he said, yes. He'd be my and doctor then, forever, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But then the next time you phoned him up and said, I want to see you Wednesday at three. And he said, okay. Would you start to have doubts about his quality and confidence and things? Well, I guess that's, the, the, I mean, you, you start to have this expectation, especially for, for doctors and such, since we're talking about that, that you, that you do have to fit around their schedule and does make them seem like they're busy and successful when you do have to deal with their schedule and, and be on their time. Which, like so I guess you said, it real, makes sense. It can translate real, to real estate. Realtors feel they have to drop everything to be at everybody's beck and call. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you lose respect that way. Now, if I did say that to somebody and they said, no, I can't possibly, I'm catching a flight tonight or something like that, then I'd say, let me readjust my schedule then to accommodate you, um, consider it done, and, and I'll just have to move some other things around. And then they feel like you're doing something special for them to accommodate them, which makes it better too. But you need to be in control. This business can control you or you can control it. And I'm telling you, most realtors are out of control and that's their biggest problem. Okay, so you could be your own biggest problem in, in going forward and yes. growth, so. Okay, well, we talked about two of the pillars that you mentioned then. We, so we talked about open houses and your strategy there, your sphere of influence. What about farming areas? What is the best strategy there if you want to uh, increase your business and productivity in a, through a farming area? Okay, a lot of people confuse farming with just a marketing program and they slap all kinds of marketing into an area. Um, if you're farming in the area, it becomes getting to know everybody in the area, becoming, it, it's almost like a political campaign to get known. So I always say to pick a small area, maybe a thousand houses maximum, and then grow your farm area from there. Uh, you would do a certain amount of marketing and you have to realize that it's going to take time for a farm area to come to fruition and it's going to cost you money. So you have to do research first to make sure there's enough turnover. A good farming agent might get 20% of the business out of an area. So if you're looking at an area and it's only selling on average 10 houses a year, it's not worth spending a lot of time and money in that area. So a lot of research needs to be done, first of all, about the ethnicity of the area. Um, who's already in there, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, so it, you need to do your research, then have a, a plan as well. So are there any good strategies for determining, like if, if you're looking, say you're in Toronto or Vancouver, a big major metropolitan center where there are, probably are a lot of us. Yeah, it's local board and you can see what's sold in the last year in that area. So, and, and you can, and then see from the post office, you can see how many houses are in that area. So then it's easy to look, you know, when there's a thousand houses in that postal walk, 
and you should do a farm area by a postal walk. And there are only 10 of them sold last year, you know. Yeah, I guess I guess That's what I was sad. kind of fishing for was just tips for looking for one other than just blankly like looking for a specific area. Like maybe like is a new development a good place to look at? I mean, you actually wouldn't have any historical sales data from there, but you wouldn't have any other competition necessarily moving into that area right away, right? Or someone established. Absolutely. I like farming new areas. A lot of agents shy away from it. But a lot of people that move in originally, it isn't what they expected, whatever, and you will start to see sales happening. But you need to do, um, you need to constantly be in touch with everybody. So you need to talk to everybody in your farm area at least once a year. Um, I liked, if I did a, um, an open house in the farm area, it was great because then I'd be knocking on doors in the farm area. I would send out something twice a month to my farm area so that I'm becoming almost like a celebrity in my farm area. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a funny story. One day in my farm area, a little kid came up and I, I was standing there with my one of my signs in my hand or something. And uh, he said, oh, are you Pam Prescott? And I said, yes. And he said, can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> he thought that I was famous. It was really embarrassing. I looked at his mom and she said, go ahead. <laughs> so I gave him an autograph. But you get to be like that. But you can do things. It's not only about sending out the listings and the solds. It's sending out some other things that maybe catch their eyes. Um, uh, and be more creative with your marketing because everybody sends out a card of free market evaluation, that sort of thing. And um, the way I used to do it was I'd send out uh, a card with a tea bag attached. And I'd say, thinking of buying, thinking of selling, give me a call and we'll discuss it over tea. <laughs> no obligation. So it was a little bit different. It caught people's eyes. I would also do things like on Canada Day, I put a Canadian flag on every lawn in my farm area and underneath it would have a little card saying happy Canada Day Camp Prescott Century 21 Heritage Group and that got me so many phone calls and so much recognition it wasn't funny. I also one thing that I did that really worked well was the local school I get an ice cream truck and I put a great big sign above it, free ice cream today, compliments Pam Prescott, Century 21. And I'd send a notice out to everybody saying that um, uh, ice cream is free today on on me sort of thing. Well, and it's these sort of things that really get you noticed. The ice cream truck thing, though, that's even really planning for the future because you've got five, six-year-olds that 20 years down the road are going to be like, that Pam Prescott gave me a lot of free ice cream. Maybe it's time to buy a house with her. But the parents love it too. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I'd also have, and I farmed a new neighborhood once, and I had a meet your neighbor day at the park. And yeah. it was great. Well, that's one thing I was going to... We had about seven or 800 people turn up because it's nice to meet your neighbors. So you do things like that. And of course, I was there giving up cold drinks and water and things like that. And uh, I told them, bring your food, I'll supply the beverages. And, and uh, because I didn't want to be responsible for food allergies and all the rest of it. But um, I actually had a farmer come with a pony and give the kids pony rides and do things like that in the park that day. It was great. Yeah, well, that's one thing I was actually... That's true farming. That, that, well, that's one thing I was I, wondering... Was I got 40% of the business out of the farm area. Even with all of that, you don't get 100%. 
Yeah, and that's one thing I was wondering about too was you know getting involved in the communities because a lot of people think farming okay, they think like you know sending out the flyers and everything to all the houses, but getting involved in the community seems to be a much more effective way to go about it. You know, yes. getting involved in, in local events, putting on local events, uh, things of that nature. Like I like the the meet your neighbors idea too, or even like you see all sorts of like you know festivals and happenings in and around the area. I guess getting involved in all those and just making yourself seen is an important and effective strategy too, right? It's not just a piece of paper. I mean, yeah. the, sending out the, the flyers and everything is an integral part of it. But if you do everything, it, it takes you to the next level. For sure. And that's what this is all about, right? Is that's getting to the right. next level. So before we finish off the show and conclude this segment, is there anything, any like nugget of knowledge, any sort of little bit last moment advice you want to give any of those agents looking to take it to the next level? Um. One thing I want to want to say is a, a lot of agents, as I said before, go off on tangents when they get a client. Never let that happen. I always think of it, it as I'm getting leads and it, it's like a funnel that I have and I'm dripping drips of oil into the funnel and then they start dripping out. And if I keep my prospecting, I keep my business plan going, my funnel gets full and it starts flowing and it never stops. If I stop my business plan, I stop putting those drops of oil into the funnel. The funnel will dry up and I have to start all over again. So if you stop your business plan, if you stop your prospecting, if you stop your calling, if you stop your door knocking, all that sort of thing, your funnel will be dry and it takes you about six months to get your business rolling. So uh, never stop. Once it's flowing, you can take a little break here and there. But you've really got to push it to get it going, and it's hard work to get to get the, that funnel filled up. So have a business plan, stay focused, stay dedicated, and make sure you're consistent with everything. And the business will start flowing, and you'll be a top producer in no time. Okay. That's right. So thanks so much for all that great advice, Pam. I sure hope everyone's going to be following it, uh, because I know there's a lot of agents out there that are looking to make that next step. So if you like the show today... Please subscribe to our show on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts online. And please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on those sites. You can watch this and past shows at spotlight.century21.ca slash podcast. If you need to reach us, you can email us anytime at podcast at homania.com. That's podcast at H-O-M as in Mary, E-A-N as in Nancy, I-A dot com. So this podcast is brought to you by the Spotlight Marketing Program, an exclusive marketing package available only to Century 21 agents in Canada. Spotlight provides agents with a comprehensive internet marketing strategy for their listings. We provide high-quality HDR photography, stunning HD video tours, a cutting-edge responsive website, and an extensive advertising system that helps sell your listings faster, sell them for more money, impress your clients, and generate leads. Find out why so many top agents are using Spotlight by visiting spotlight.century21.ca today. So Pam, thanks so much for coming out. I had a blast. I hope you did too. And we look forward to having you on future shows. And you know what? Maybe you'll just have to replace Aaron going forward. <laughs> okay, thanks, Linus. And just to let you know that we did a, a, a study, 90% of our listings are using Spotlight now. Uh, the agents speak so highly of it and... Uh, the only ones that don't are usually leases and things like that. So um, 
the realtors in our companies certainly love Spotlight and wouldn't list a property without it now. Thanks so much for your glowing reviews, and it's really great. I do suggest if you don't have Spotlight set up in your office, it's easy. It's available to everybody across Canada. Just give us a call, send us an email, and we can get you set up and started in no time. But thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week with part three of our show on building the foundations of your real estate business. Have a great week. See you next week.